Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another Housing Matters Podcast. It's your favorite data nerds, back with everything you need to know about the housing market and the economy. My name is Jordan Levine, uh, Chief Economist here at the California Association of Realtors, and I'm joined by my good friend and partner in crime, Oscar Way, our Deputy Chief Economist. Hey, Oscar. Hey, Jordan, and hi, everyone. We got a lot to talk about, and of course, the uh, hits keep coming, as it were, in terms of the market and the Fed and interest rates. And so we're going to get into all of that here, I think, starting with just some basic macro updates since we last met, because I think that's where most of the action is up to this point is on the macro front with rates and consumers. Um, but we do have some good housing data and some stuff that we've been thinking about as we're kind of processing all of this new information. But I think we got to start first and foremost with uh, mortgage rates, right? Because that is yeah. kind of front and center, at least in the newspaper headlines. And I think also on the minds of buyers. Yeah, we have been seeing rates climbing and climbing in the last few weeks or so. And, you know, six months ago, we wouldn't think that it would get to this point. Point, or at least at that time when it was low, I think at one point we were at around 6% or so, which of course, you know, uh, uh, in the last year, year and a half, it's considered kind of low. Um, but, you know, we thought 6%, maybe it will kind of tame down, it will continue to maybe level off at around that level. But of course, in the last, especially in the last few weeks, we started seeing rates climbing and climbing. I think just the last two weeks or so, it might have climbed uh, or three three weeks or so, it might have already climbed like 50 basis point or so to a, a rates of about like 750-ish or so. If you look at the Freddie Max number, I think yesterday, right. They released some good some some numbers, and uh, you know it's timely to talk about it today because I think uh, today um, that's when the uh, that that today is the day when the uh, Federal Reserve and all the other economists meet at Jackson Hole to discuss you know the current economic situation and what's going on with uh, rates and all that other stuff. Yeah, definitely, and I think my invitation must have got lost in the mail <laughs> or something, but uh, you know the Fed. Chair uh, Jay Powell basically, you know, reaffirmed that they're still willing to raise rates, and I think that you know, I, I they already have broadcast that they were going to do two increases this year, and I think you know when the CPI number came out, and we can talk about that in a minute. Mm -hmm. People got excited that maybe this is the end. We finally broken the back of inflation. I think the headline number was better, and but you know when you look at all the subsequent data that's come out since then, I think the chances are. Um, you know, the probability is higher, actually, that we will see him follow through on that that rate hike. And I think he alluded to that at the Jackson Hole meeting today. Yeah. And, and you know, the the you know, when, when we look at, you know, the odds, you know, there are some people who try to predict what's going on, what the uh -huh. rate is going to be like or whether the what Fed the is going to be. Say? Well, there you know, still it still looks like, you know, as of yesterday, I can't say, you know, by the end of the day, we will probably see some new numbers. But as of yesterday, um, the odds still it still looks like, you know, there's only about 20 percent chance that they're going to raise, you know, rate a uh, Fed funds rate by about 25 basis point. That means there are very high chance that they're going to stay put. Now, I'm not we can't say that for November and December. 
especially with the narrative that the uh, the Fed chairman as well as some of the governors have been saying. Um, so I think there is a chance that we might see another 25 basis point, but it may not necessarily be September. Right. Yeah. And and I think they're still going to you know go based on the data and we still have a few more uh, releases that are going to come out between now and then that may help or, or may uh, not. But when you look at where rates are, as you said, and, and I do want to give us a little bit of kudos for hopefully mentally preparing members for this because we were looking at those treasury rates, I mean, months ago and talking about how seven and a half wasn't uh, outlandish, right? Because we've had an inverted yield curve for a very long time. And and we finally see that the treasury rates are, are starting to reflect just this persistent inflation and the reality is that the Fed may not be totally done yet. I think the two-year was at 5% yesterday again as we um, record this here nearing the end of august and so we've seen the 10-year climb and i think as you said we've we've had about 100 basis point uh increase from where we were earlier this year even and and that is kind of having an effect we see that mortgage applications are still depressed here in california we kind of and we'll talk about our numbers but the sales are are holding up after kind of rebounding a little bit, but they're they're not able to go up substantially. And, and I think this not only hurts buyers, but as we've said in the past, it it also hurts inventory, right? Because it just makes Absolutely. the lock-in effect uh, even tighter. So what do you think about how all of this is kind of reflective of the broader macro stuff? Because of course, we're trying to fight this war against inflation, and that's what the Fed's ultimate goal is with these rate hikes and and keeping the fed funds rate so high and and when you look at what happened in July for the CPI people got really excited right because we had um what was kind of ostensibly the 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 number that we're looking for where things drop down to 3% um you know and and that seems like a pretty good number we're only about 50% higher than that fed target not you know 150 200% higher than that fed target where we were a few months ago yeah and i think you you mentioned uh, very uh very accurately uh earlier um saying that we we've kind of prepared people mentally about what's uh what's going on with rates and we 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 actually started seeing inflation and we talked about this before inflation started declining uh mid of last year from yeah. the highest of like 9% or so 9.2% or so and we did try to let people know that well yes uh we are seeing some decline but uh, don't get over excited because uh and i think in in some of your presentations uh, outreaches you also might have mentioned that yeah we might have you know dipped to 3% but that last mile is always tough you know because uh i think you use uh <laughs> analogy like working out yeah right and that, I think that's very, very accurate. You know, you can shade off, you know, 50 pounds, whatever. And then the, the last 10 pounds is really hard to to get rid of because of, you know, you have to put in very extra effort and all the other stuff. And I think it applies to inflation. We might see the 3% or 3.2%, uh, but getting from the 32 to, say, 2.5%, that's the, the 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 very toughest part, and the other part of it I want to mention is, uh, even though the headline number is three three and a half percent or three point two percent, the core number 
which is what the Federal Reserve look at, uh, it's still at somewhere around four and a half, four point seven percent or so. Yeah, and it kind of um, you know is plateauing or or isn't declining as fast, shall we say, as as what we see in the headline number that's like affected by all these transitory volatile things, and that's that's kind of the reason why you know, I, I made the weight analogy, right, is is in some ways that that first bit was easy to get rid of. Those were mostly, again, transitory shocks to the system, supply chain stuff, COVID stuff. Um, you know, we couldn't ship goods, we couldn't get people working at bars, restaurants, hotels. And, and as we kind of unlock the, you know, the ability for folks to go outside and the health risks came down and all of that stuff, we were able to get folks back to work and get those shipping lanes reopened and get people back in the factories producing goods and all of those things. So, so that first bit on the inflation side was easy to get rid of. When, when you look at what's kind of driving, I think the inflation inflation now, and you can see there's several categories um, that, that continue to go up, right, or that are, are well above the Fed target. And, and those are things, I think, that are a little bit more structural um, in nature. And we've talked about the supply, supply chain shortage in terms of labor, right? And that's one of the things that's been really hard to, you know, kind of correct. We still have the jolts data that shows, you know, way more job openings than we have, um, you know, available workers and especially in the service sector. And you can see that, the, you know, again, the categories of CPI that are still growing, it's at bars and restaurants, right? It's at hotels um, and of course, residential, right? Because we have this economy that's at very low levels of unemployment. I just this morning, check the California un unemployment insurance claims. And we were at about 37,000. And just, you know, for context, we were in the kind of 50,000 range even earlier this year, like two, three months ago when things were still going pretty good. So the labor market is still very tight, particularly in that service sector. Um, and, and you see that the economy continues to churn out net job growth, right? We, I think, Folks might have been a little bit disappointed by the jobs numbers in July, but we still added new jobs. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, it might be if you look at it, you know, if you isolate, you know, the job growth, it may seems like, you know, um, or actually, if you look at, you know, how it compares to the last few months, it may seem like it's, it's declining. But if you isolate it by itself, you know, just barely, you know, under 200,000 job growth, non-farm job payroll is actually still a very good number. But at the same time, um, we also have seen, um, and even I think even yesterday, um, when we when we look at some of the uh, jobless claim number, jobless claim number actually um, show a little bit of, um, you know, staying at a, a similar level as what we have seen before. Um, and so, you know, it, it, we are still we still have a very solid economy, still have a very solid job growth. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, the wage growth continue to stay at a pretty decent level yeah. um, with with hourly wage increasing four point four percent, which is actually when you compare it to the uh, inflation number, it's actually showing real wage growth as compared to, you know, six months ago, maybe not real wage growth. Right. And I think and that's the reason why people continue to spend. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're smart to bring it, you know, back full circle to the inflation story, right? Because that's ultimately why we're belaboring this kind of boring macroeconomic data like jobless claims and jolts data and all of that stuff is because when it's hard to get workers and fill open positions, you have to compete. And one of the ways that you do that is by offering higher wages. And, and that is why, again, I think that last mile on the inflation is going to be hard to get rid of. The other thing that you mentioned rightly is that the strong economy means that or, you know, the strong labor markets rather means that people do continue to spend. And we had a monster number for retail sales in the, the July numbers. And of course, Consumers are still 70%-ish of the economy. There's still a big fraction of the overall economic growth. And I think that's why even as that headline inflation number comes down, the Fed still sees, I think, that the economy is running too hot. And one of the big things that I think they're trying to clamp down on is this spending because it's real spending. And, and not only do we already have a labor shortage, we're like having to produce even more to restock the shelves and all of that, because I think we had about two or three times more growth in retail spending last month as what the kind of consensus forecast was. Yeah, and and partly, of course, uh, you know, we're, we we probably all have some guilty pleasure. You know, remember last month, uh, July, we had that Prime Day. And, oh yeah. Uh, you know, we might have bought some stuff. We all might have bought some stuff that we probably uh, wouldn't use. You know, and and will not use in the next few months or so, or maybe just sit in the garage. But I at the same time, showed great self restraint. <laughs> very proud of myself. Yeah, I mean, I tried to. Yeah, I think I bought some. I I'll have to admit, I probably bought some stuff as well. But the other part of it, besides you know Prime Day, of course, uh, people or students are gearing, uh, preparing for school, and uh, that starts usually, uh, I think, mid August ish or so. So there might be uh, you know kids, students buying clothing items or you know uh, other items for schools, uh, getting ready. Uh, to go back, and that might be part of the reason why we're seeing uh, some increase in uh, in retail sales. Now, on the other hand, though, uh, it's it's actually pretty um, indicative uh, because of the rise in the interest rates. We are seeing, you know, some slowdown in things like you know big ticketed items, like yes. maybe auto, uh, like vehicle, uh, new new cars, maybe also like uh, some uh, appliances, right? Yeah, exactly. So, and you know, when and and this is one of the reasons why you know we still in our forecast don't think we're totally out of the woods economically. Even though I think folks are out there kind of um, congratulating the Fed for achieving the soft landing and all that stuff, but credit card debt continues to grow by double digits. The level of debt is relatively um, high, and now the rates on that debt have increased as well. So we're going to keep an eye on that financial obligations ratio. Does, Make sure, you know, but I think ultimately we still see the kind of um, wind coming out of the sails a bit. And even if we don't, you know, get an official recession that we'll probably be looking at slower growth at the end of this year and into the first half of uh, next year. That being said, you know, this might be just us in our ivory towers because consumers seem undaunted, right? Not just in how much they're actually out there buying stuff. Um, but they're actually optimistic in their in their mentality as well. And consumer confidence continues to be elevated and I think uh, actually went up again last month. Yeah, consumers are very confident. You know, if you look at depending on, you know, 
regardless of which one you look at, you know, whether it's the consumer confidence level or the consumer sentiment released by University of Michigan, they still show, you know, that uh, consumers are gaining, you know, some some confidence. Um, you know, it's reached the highest level. For example, the consumer confidence reached the highest level since mid 2021. Mid 2021, we still had really low rates and we yeah. were growing at a pretty decent rate. And you know their 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 assessment on the labor market, their assessment on business conditions, uh, both kind of you know uh, improved a little bit, uh, right. and it's and it's very important because when they started feeling a little bit better, um, they start spending like what they ha what happened in July, and right. that's one of the reasons I think why uh, retail sales continue to stay pretty decent, and that's why I think the Fed uh, continue to stress that well, we're, they're not ready to uh, you know do anything with lowering rates or anything. In fact, you know they're suggesting that you know they will continue increasing. Uh, rates for that reason, for the consumer confidence, uh, for the uh, retail sales number, and also, of course, the job growth number. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's that's ultimately, I think, a good thing for the economy. You know, although we kind of cast the consumer spending numbers in a negative light just through the lens of what, what it means for inflation, it, it is good that most people are still working and incomes are finally going up, even in real terms, um, and, and that consumers are still feeling relatively good because nobody wants a recession. It's just a question of how, you know, where the longevity is going to come from to be able to kind of sustain the momentum that we've had up to this point. Now, the good news is, and, and I don't know if we should say that CEOs are much more optimistic as well, or maybe just that they're less pessimistic, I think is kind of my read, but the the business optimism numbers showed that that, that was also happening amongst business leaders. Yeah, I think they're, you know, uh, less um, negative about the economy. I think that's probably a better, better way to put it, because if you look at their uh, perspective or what they believe, uh, whether we, they believe is going to the economy is going into recessions. Still, uh, you know, many of them believe that we are going into a recession. Just that, you know, compared to a few quarters ago, the number has come down. Instead of let's say eighty-five or eighty-seven percent believe we're going into recessions, maybe eighty percent. Uh, maybe you know, instead of thirteen percent believe we're going into a deep recessions, maybe four percent. So yeah. people still believe that we will see a recession like what you suggested earlier and i think the fed also believe that's the case too but if you look at it from a more positive of course angle when business see uh, business leaders they feel a little bit more confident about the, about the economy they tend to spend a little bit more and maybe not lay people off lay as many people off uh, as uh, what we saw about about a year ago Right. And I think, you know, not not only that, they're maybe more willing to fill open positions and not go right. on a hiring freeze. And of course, if you look at that second quarter GDP number, it was, you know, one of the first times where business investment finally stepped in and kind of helped carry some of the load for the broader economy so that it wasn't just a consumer driven show. And I think these numbers all help, you know, contribute to that potential soft landing um, scenario. Small businesses were also more optimistic. But yeah, I mean, if you look at the people who don't expect a recession at all, I think those are the numbers that are like, you know, almost 10x what they were a year ago or at the end of, of last year. And so again, it wasn't like a huge jump in the number of people that were super optimistic, but that kind of extreme pessimism um, has really kind of tapered off, right? 
Right. And and I think, you know, that's one of the reasons we're going back, you know, full circle again. That's one of the reasons why uh, rates continue to stay high, not necessarily because, uh, you know, the inflate, not just because of inflation, but because people start thinking, well, it looks like we may, you know, the, the, the chance of going into recessions is now lower Then that means the Fed's may not actually cut rates that much next year. Yeah, I think folks maybe started to unbatten the hatches when they uh, when they saw those CPI numbers. But again, I think you know we should expect a slowing even with these good numbers. These are numbers that show the economy continues to punch above its weight and kind of overperform. Um, but you know, just to to kind of make sure that we keep the champagne on ice for now, at least as we get through the end of the year. Um, but but you know, ultimately, I think most of the macro news has been positive, which is why I don't think that Fed rate hike is totally off the table as we get deeper um, into this year. How does this kind of affect us in housing though, right? Because a strong economy is good. And on the one hand, we see that prices are going back up, but also that rates are going back up and, and that can't be good for housing affordability. That's in fact, you know, affecting the housing affordability and the market a little bit uh, in, in a negative way. And, you know, and as we mentioned, I think in the last few podcasts or so, but not necessarily uh, mentioning too many of the housing affordability numbers. But if you look at it from that lens, um, you know, the economy is still pretty solid. That means we still have people who want to buy ho- homes, houses, right. um, just that we may not necessarily have supply uh, to, to, to that replenish and, you know, provide more sales. But on the other hand, of course, we also have uh, some buyers struggling with uh, affordability. Um, given that, you know, affordability, we're looking at, you know, if you look at the second quarter's number, which of course, uh, the July uh, August number will be a little bit higher in terms of the uh, uh, rates, but if right. you just look at second quarter's number, it has already gone up to maybe about six point six percent for the thirty-year fixed rate, and that's one of the highest that we have seen for quite some time, um, and that adds up, you know, for uh, buyers in terms of uh, their mortgage payment. Right. It increased, you know, the mortgage payment by quite a bit. And now um, our affordability has come down to about 16%, which means uh, six, only 16% of all households can afford to buy. And that's the lowest in uh, since the third quarter of 2007. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not the all time low, but I think it's, you know, it also means that 84% of households don't make enough to qualify for the typical um, home. And, and that's problematic, obviously for transactions, it's problematic for the economy, right? It it Mm -hmm. kind of only fuels the out migration that we've seen where people are, you know, calculating the trade-off between, you know, unavailable and unaffordable housing and maybe seeking greener pastures in other states. And, and, you know, it's, it's hitting our members in their pocketbooks, right? Just because the transaction number, I think, continues to be depressed by that. But it's just, I mean, when you look at some of these numbers, and I know 16% is the kind of headline um, number for housing affordability, but they're really daunting, right? Because right. with a, a median price that's in the kind of 830, 840,000 range where it has been the last couple of months, 
we calculate that you know after you account for the for the interest rates you got to make $208,000 to qualify for that median priced home and be able to afford that $5200 a month mortgage payment that's a, a huge mortgage on a typical home right like that a lot of Californians just do not make $208,000 it's just a straight up uh, math problem and it's it's across the board almost right even though yeah. not every part of the state has $830,000 home prices those areas typically have lower incomes as well and so when you kind of do that calculation even on a, a regional level almost every county in the state is suffering from this decline in erosion in housing affordability it's really tough, you know, that 200,000, you know, income that you just mentioned. Um, we used to, you know, just maybe a few years ago, we used to just, you, we used to hear that number only in some of the high cost area, um, a high cost counties, like maybe in the Bay Area or in some of the more uh, specific location that has uh, what we call million dollar home. But of course, million dollar home now is seems like it's a, in a lot of places in California, because of, you know, of course, prices have gone up too, but at the same time, you know, monthly payment uh, about five thousand. Uh, that means, you know, if if you use a very typical, you know, lender's way of calculating how much you can afford to buy a home and things like that, you know, you usually use what one third of right. uh, your income. That means, you know, on a monthly basis, you need maybe about fifteen thousand ish or so. That's a lot of money, uh, and uh, obviously, not a lot of people in California. Uh, can afford with that kind of monthly payment. Obviously, you know, the way that we use, uh, estimate our housing affordability, uh, we, we assume a 20% down payment. And that's one of the reasons why I think many people may be putting less than that 10%, maybe 5%. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, just, I mean, 5,200 bucks a month is such a, uh, you know, it's just, I remember getting my first apartment. It was like a thousand bucks a month. And I was like, man, how am I ever going to like make this <laughs> um, work? And, and to see, you know, again, these are typical payments and even just, you know, what, what you think of, or when I was growing up, you thought somebody who lived in a million dollar home, like that was an in incredible uh, home. And you kind of go scroll through the listings that are up for a million dollars in some of these areas, right? And it's definitely not the kind of vision that that you had as a kid, or maybe the vision that somebody living in Ohio thinks of when they think of a a million a million dollar home. And yet, even with this kind of erosion in housing affordability, and I think this speaks to kind of some of the underlying um, you know strengths or or reasons to be optimistic is is you know, the housing market's still holding up relatively well, even with high rates, even with this kind of hit to housing affordability. And yes, sales went down a little bit in July um, from the almost 280,000 or so that we hit in June. We're still hanging on to a, a pretty sizable increase from where we were last winter, where rates were actually even, you know, um, better than they were right now and and so we're we're actually um again i think it's just a testament to how much people really want homes it's just a question of do they have enough money and can they find a unit they they can afford but i was actually kind of encouraged by the july sales report that we just released last week i think you know if you look at 
the the way that we have been kind of checking along um obviously you know we would like to see higher numbers but you know, given the situation that we're at right now um with very tight supply and uh, affordability at a lowest level in the last 16 years or so we're still seeing that people do want to buy um it's just that they need to find the right home they want to find they, they need to be able to um Yeah, maybe some people may be, you know, waiting for uh, rates to come down a little bit, uh, but you're not seeing, you know, compared to what we saw like 15 years ago, 16 years ago, it's not a, same, a similar situation that people don't want to buy. Uh, people do want to buy, but they have to, uh, you know, some people may be a little bit more, pay, has to be a little bit more patient. Uh, but you still see a lot of demand, you still see, you know, market competition in the market. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, again, I guess that's probably I should clarify and say that's why I'm optimistic is just that it kind of reassures me that we're not on the precipice like we were back 15 um, years ago, that it's really, you know, demand has taken a hit, but supply has taken an even bigger hit. And so when you think about it through the lens of, of prices and foreclosures and all of that stuff, you know, I just don't see that in the cards still at this point in time. And even though, you know, sales were still down in July a little bit, if you look at it on a year to year basis, I think this is the first time that we didn't have a double digit drop from last Absolutely. year since rates started going up over, over a year ago. And so again, we're not you know popping the champagne corks and thinking that sales are gonna come rocketing back to 510,000 units where they were at the end of 2020 or beginning of 2021. We just don't think the bottom's gonna fall out. Um, and, and I think you, you can kind of see that imbalance still between supply and demand when you look at prices, right? Because <laughs> prices actually went up for the first time since this, you know, kind of tightening um, or at least rate increasing cycle or higher mortgage rates, however you want to characterize that started to happen last year. It wasn't a big gain, right? We were up by less than a percent from where we were at this time last year, but it's the, you know, again, we haven't seen this in over a year where the prices were actually rising, even on a year to year basis. They've been rising monthly as we went through the spring home buying season. And it looks like uh, June was, in fact, probably the peak home price this year. Um, and they'll start doing their normal seasonal cooling as we get through the second half. But it is noteworthy, I think, that that this, you know, this hit to demand is being more than offset by the hit to supply. And, and that has actually driven prices up again for the first time in a while. I think the prices, you know, at um, now, of course, for many buyers, you know, of course, they want to see lower prices. But the fact that home prices at 800000 for the fourth consecutive month, this is very encouraging in a sense that, okay, well, we're seeing that prices are stabilizing, maybe even inching up on a month-to-month uh, -month basis or year-over-year -year basis. Uh, and, and that suggests to us that you know, the market is not crashing like, you know, what we saw before in fact it's you know it's encouraging to see that things are actually leveling off or maybe even moving up uh that i think provide a lot of confidence to you know people who are interested in buying because they're not no longer maybe may no longer be looking okay market is going to prices are going to go down you know in right. six months or a year they're just waiting for the right time and for interest rate to kind of slow down a little bit before coming back so there's still a lot of demand um Supply is still a very significant issue, um, and and that's one of the reasons why I think even though we are seeing some slight improvement, slight improvement meaning 
on a month to month basis, maybe some inch up in, in surprise uh, in supply, but I think it's probably going to continue to stay at a very low level because of the interest rate environment and also because of, you know, the, uh, we're just not producing enough or not, not uh, building enough. Right. Uh, yeah. It's the kind right of twin, now. the twin challenge of, of, you know, homes that we already have not turning over and then not filling up the back pipeline um, right. with a bunch of new construction. And, and even though, you know, unsold inventory inched up a bit, we're talking about inching up to two and a half months of supply. And the other thing I think is worth pointing out is that inventory is also seasonal, just like home prices, right? right. So we right. typically um, see, you know, higher unsold inventory in the winter when there's less buyer activity and the kids have started school and, and all of that stuff. But, you know, inventory is still very tight. You see it in the competitiveness data where you know homes are selling above lists still days on market is still very low um and and all of that stuff again points to having too many buyers still even with all of these um challenges that buyers are facing in terms of rates and affordability um and all of of that stuff what about you know, one of the things that I've kind of seen recently, though, and and which is actually, I think, a potential angle for our members, too, is just to like, or something to pay more attention to is new home sales, because um, we have seen at least nationwide an increase in new home sales. And actually, I'm in the, uh, I'm, I'm kind of in escrow on a new home. I'm trying to sell my house right now oh. to a new build. And one of the things I was like, kind of pleasantly surprised to see was that this builder is using an agent. So there's a listing agent actually that my agent is, is interacting with. And, and so those numbers have actually been going up both in terms of just the raw number of new home sales, but also as a share of the market. I think if you go back in time, new homes, you know, a year or two ago were about 10% of the market. Now it's 15, 16%. So that's a, a potential opportunity for both buyers um, and for agents. Cause I think, you know, uh, builders, are looking to move these units and and realizing they might need an agent to help them do that. Yeah, and I think you know that's also is you know the uh, the positive side that we we we're seeing more. And I think that, again that's also encouraging news because that suggests to us that you know yeah as you mentioned uh, s uh, sellers or not sellers builders developers they probably have a little bit of a leeway of either adjusting rates down a little bit. Um, to uh, to to hopefully uh, motivate buyers to purchase more properties, and and we are seeing new home sales climbing in the last few months or so. We continue to hear about new home sales uh, rising. That again suggests to me that there are buyers out there. They just are looking for you know a property. They're looking for maybe you know developers and builders to help them up a little bit with a little bit of uh, incentive with uh, low rates. I mean even with what six percent right now. Uh, that's actually pretty, pretty uh, okay for buyers. So I think that's uh, another positive angle is that we want to look at. It's just a yeah. matter of, you know, getting the supply and getting, you know, enough, just a little bit enough of incentive for buyers to get into back, back into the market. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things I've just heard anecdotally from talking to, you know, members out in the field who are actually doing transactions is that, you know, 
The there is still buyers, but given that rates are are a lot higher, you're tending to find you know buyers in the higher income categories, and they want to buy, but they're also really picky <laughs> too. Mm -hmm. And and I think that kind of is why some of these new homes are attractive, is that you know you're not going to come in and spend a bunch of money and time, and that not everyone has the appetite for. And you know I think the millennial buyers. I saw a report from NAR talking about millennial buyers coming back um, to the market. And I I think they tend to be um, have a specific vision in mind for what they want to live in and where they want to live and all of that kind of stuff. And builders are offering incentives and willing to do rate buy downs and all those things mm -hmm. that maybe an existing homeowner uh, might struggle with in terms of cost and things like that. So there are definitely just a lot of signs out there, whether it's our numbers, you know, on the existing side with prices rising and inventory being um, really tight or or the new home sales and what have you that show, you know, when we can get units onto the market in some form, they sell, right? It's just, Absolutely. I think that's the the kind of limiting factor and, and why we're both kind of um, optimistic that the bottom isn't falling out, but also kind of cautious that, that the rebound or the recovery will be relatively slow is just because again, it, it all comes back down to supply whenever you're talking about sales or prices or any of that stuff. And so, um, I think the, the bottom line for our members is just to really, I mean, you know, consumers need us more than ever, right? They need to know about Absolutely. the new homes. They need to know about the tactics of getting rate buy downs or how to work with sellers. What do you do in a contingent situation and how do you best position yourself for that new house and and how do you navigate rates and where you know who has the best rates and working with lenders to get creative on financing solutions and every other kind of one of the bags of tricks that are or everything in your bag of tricks I guess I should say um, to really facilitate that and I think the agents that are doing that are really proving their worth in the marketplace and and but I think that is just kind of where we need to focus our efforts and um you know helping these folks navigate these very challenging times because again the opportunity to accumulate wealth and to see these prices go up over time is untarnished by the current shenanigans that we're going through right now and so it's all about getting your foot on the property ladder in a house that you like and can afford and i think that's where a good agent comes in to help you um, find ways to be able to make that happen and and again make sure you can like you know stay in the house and you like the house and you can afford the payment if rates go down and you refine and save a bunch of money in the future great if not at least you're accumulating equity over the meantime and paying down principal and all of that stuff and so recipe for success i think is just again nose to the ground Grindstone, be that market expert, stay on top of the numbers and the news, you know, keep your Rolodex on lock so that you can bring all of your experts to the table and, and help to get these deals done. Yeah, I think buyers, both buyers and sellers, you said it, you know, very correctly, both buyers and sellers need insights, needs, you know, day-to-day um, -day knowledge from our realtors to help them understand, you know, what's going on with the market right now. And they want to continue to um, they continue to show interest, and that's one of the reasons why I think uh, it's very important for realtors to um, 
really help out, you know, the uh, buyers and sellers, continue to educate them. And of course, uh, continue to look at some of the stuff that we uh, the produce or release on a regular basis, like our market minutes, like our real quick uh, videos, and of course, the podcast. I think there there's a lot of positive uh, moving forward. It may not happen overnight. Um, but uh, we do foresee, you know, rates at some point, you know, maybe in a few months or so, maybe not the next couple of weeks or so, uh, you know, a couple months, maybe towards the end of the year, slowing down a little bit. The market, hopefully, uh, developers, builders pick up the fact that, you know, we do need more supply. And I think they they begin to uh, build a bit more uh, at six time. And then, of course, when rates started coming down, uh Sooner or later, I think there's some studies, some survey that shows that when uh, rates get back to maybe about five and a half ish or so, people will start putting their house up on the market. But I think even before that, you know, even when we see six percent or so, we probably will see a little bit more supply. So, um, unfortunately, we might have to be a little bit more patient. Um, it's yeah. just going to take a little bit more time uh, for yeah. things to work out. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, the the kind of big picture is that the, you know, one of the evergreen findings in our surveys is that um, consumers, even through all of this stuff, still want to own homes. The American dream is synonymous with owning your own home. And I think where we earn our keep in challenging markets like this is to make that American dream a reality for as many of these buyers uh, as we can. And so that is my advice. And, and I think that we've now given you a pretty comprehensive <laughs> update on the macro environment and how that filters through to what we do as real estate professionals, and maybe hopefully some tips too on how to navigate this challenging um, environment. So we will leave you there. And thank you so much for your time, um, for listening to the podcast. We hope it helps. We hope you get more buyers into homes and uh, unlock that, that dream for, for, many, many more Californians, and, and we will certainly keep you updated as things develop. Absolutely. And one more time, uh, just a shameless plug. I think we mentioned it last time also. We have our reimagine coming up in about a month or so. I'm not sure whether we'll be able to do another podcast before then, but I just want to let everyone know that uh, we will be, both of us will be at the uh, reimagine. Uh, Jordan will be doing a forecast. Uh, so definitely uh, try to get there. Uh, in Anna in Anaheim, uh, I believe it's on uh, September twentieth to twenty second. Uh, I don't remember the exact date, uh, yeah. but uh, we'll be there. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you, and then we'll be able to chit chat a little bit about the economy, about the market, and we do have a booth also uh, at the trade floor. Yeah, and Oscar is actually going to host an amazing econ panel with some experts from all over the industry. That's going to be really, I think, insightful. That folks can get a lot of perspective out of beyond just what Oscar and I think and and very much looking forward to that. So we hope to see you all there and uh, and we will see you on episode 110 of the Housing Matters podcast next time. Thanks so much. All right. See ya.